0: Welcome to Solving for B,
1: your podcast for all things branding and marketing. In this episode, we're joined by experts from Global Affairs Associates to discuss the vital role that ESG reporting has in supporting your brand strategy. So sit back and enjoy this edition
0: of Solving for B with Brand Extract.
1: Hi, and welcome into Solving for B. I'm your host, Chris Wilkes, and I'm really excited about our topic today which is ESG reporting and the role that it plays in supporting your brand. Now, part of the reason I'm so excited is that we have two guests from Global Affairs Associates joining us today to help us break down this topic. First, we have Caitlin Allen, CEO of Global Affairs Associates.
0: Hey, Chris.
1: As well as COO of Global Affairs Associates, Amanda Shea.
2: Hello, everyone.
1: And rounding out our panel today is web strategist from Brand Extract, our very own Leanne Bishop. Hey, Chris. Thanks for sharing some of your time today with us, ladies. Um, now, before we get started, uh, I want to take a quick second to mention that we've recently started collaborating with Global Affairs Associates, uh, and we found some really great synergy with their team. So we're really excited to be working with them. But before we dive into the, to the deep end of this topic, uh, I wonder if I can ask one of you to share a little bit about Global Affairs Associates with us and, and your mission and, and what it is that you do.
0: Absolutely. Um, This is Caitlin. So Global Affairs Associates is a boutique ESG and sustainability (coughs) consulting firm. We're based in Houston. uh, We're women-owned by Amanda and myself. And our mission is to empower companies to realize the economic value in social and environmental performance and transparency. So what we really um, want for our clients and we we do meet clients where they are on their ESG reporting journey, but our ultimate goal for our clients is to get the value uh, that that is there to be harvested from ESG um, performance and transparency.
1: Awesome, and and you guys are going to learn a lot about that. You know, in preparation for this episode, I didn't realize how much opportunity that that there was out there for this kind of stuff. But um, there's a ton, and, and these ladies had some great insight on that. So. Um, with that being said, um, I want to I want to jump in and I want to ask about um, the connection between ESG reports and brands. And specifically, I want to ask, how does ESG reporting tie into the long-term viability and overall strength of a brand?
2: Well, first you have to decide what a brand is, right? Um, and so at Brand Extract, uh, we love trying to do that um, and. A lot of times we'll come back to the fact that a brand is a relationship between a customer and a company. And Bo, our CEO, will often say that it's not only just that relationship, but it's the perceived relationship on the part of a customer, right? So whether that customer is a stakeholder or a consumer or a B2B uh, relationship that you've got going on, I think that it's important to understand uh, that a brand is kind of squishy. It's, um, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a dialogue and a conversation. And what ESG reporting does in my mind is that I can align myself with certain values or I have certain values and I want to have a relationship with other things that have those same values. ESG reporting in my mind uh, gives you tangible data to an intangible asset that is your brand. So it helps not only, you know, support your brand, but it can also influence your brand and transform your brand.
1: And, and what are some of those tangible, um, you know, the brand, cause as you mentioned, there's kind of that fuzzy touchy feely thing that, that we all think of when we think of brand, you can't quite put your finger on it, but from a, a business standpoint, um, ESG reporting is, is valuable and, and, I was wondering if some of you guys can talk about that particular side of things.
3: Um, Something that I want to mention, kind of tagging onto what Leanne said, was that stakeholders are really expecting radical transparency from customers. That's the stakeholders you mentioned, your clients, right? Your investors, perhaps. I mean, investors are basically passing over companies who are not disclosing anything because it is very quickly becoming standard, I think the other thing to think about, too, is also your employees. That's another big stakeholder group, right? And there's been a couple of surveys done, and depending on the survey, it's anywhere from 75% to 86% of millennials say they'll take a pay cut at a different company that aligns with their values more. Mm-hmm. That's important to have. If you want top talent working at your company, I think ESG Report can also help, of course, with you know everything that you mentioned, Leanna, but also attracting and retaining those really smart kids.
0: Yeah, Totally
2: agree. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, and I think there's, there's, uh, you know, the other dimension there um, with ESG reporting is that um, that Leanne mentioned at first is that it's something concrete, it's something tangible. You can say that you um, value conservation as a company, um, but if you're not actually, you know, employing practices in your operations that reflect that, and then communicating. Uh, that directly um, whether it's in a voluntary report or in evergreen web content or whatever that communication channel is um, people don't know that, you know, and, and um, I think ESG reporting is a way um, It's one communication channel. It's a very, very important one, um, but it's one of many co- ways that that companies can communicate and strengthen their brand. Um, and one example of that, I mean, almost exclusively every, almost every time that we do an ESG reporting plan for a company, um, where we take time to set a vision and strategic objectives for what they want to achieve from doing an ESG report, um, almost always there are issues related to brand come up in that process Mm -hmm. and issues related to these. Oh, well, you know, we didn't think it, we weren't thinking of this as a, as an employee engagement tool but now that you say it yeah <laughs> we're having a really hard time recruiting people you know i mean i think as as so many companies um in every sector become tech companies in their own right whether you're in manufacturing or energy you know the construction so a lot of the b2b clients that that i know we um we all have, we share, um, you know, those yeah. industries with you guys. Um, that that's a really that's been a tough problem for several years now. Because um, when folks graduate, they want they want the Amazon jobs, they want the Silicon Valley, the cool, sexy mm-hmm. technology stuff. But manufacturing companies need that talent. Oil and gas companies need that talent. So what we've heard clients say is, we used to be competing with each other for talent, and now. We compete with Amazon for talent. Yeah, um, and 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 Amazon just being one example, right? So I think um, ESG reporting in and of itself can help answer some of those questions that um, prospective employees, that um, you know, other groups of stakeholders might have and not understand about your industry. Um, it can help answer some of those questions, um, and and at least be a conversation starter if if nothing else.
2: Yeah. And I mean, it goes back to that right relationship is everything, doesn't it? Because it's, you know, when we talk about aligning our values or finding, you know, similar passions, I mean, those millennials are, you know, practicing what they preach, not only from their own employment, but also from their investment mindset. I mean, I think that, you know, BlackRock put out in one of its many CEO letters, uh, said something to the effect of, look, just FYI, all of the millennials are asking us about, you know, ESG funds and, um, sustainable investing. So, um, you know, it's a, it's a different mindset. It's not the mindset of my dad from 20 years ago.
1: Yeah. And I think you guys, you know, talking about millennials, for example, well, um, you know, on the heels of millennials is Gen Z. And these guys are going to be even more, um, I guess, swayed or, or impressed by ESG reporting. And it's, it's going to become, and maybe it already has, you guys are the experts here, but um, it's going to become table stakes, right? In order to, to, to attract that talent and stuff like that. It's not going to be a nice to have, like maybe it has been in the past. It's going to be, hey, here's what gets you in the door. And then all the other traditional stuff.
3: I think that's what we're quickly saying is not only for attracting talent, but also attracting investors. And we can kind of, you know, um, talk about how this is, I think, an ESG report and um, some basic disclosure, let's say, about how you're managing these risks is is almost becoming, yeah, like you said, it's it's, the, it's you have to have it just to get it to the door nowadays. Um, and really, if you're not doing it, I think investors are passing up and you're potentially losing, um, you know, the ability to access the capital you need for your growth or expansion plans at an affordable rate. Um, I think um, when we talk about, you know, what can, how can ESG reporting support the long-term viability of the companies, we can also talk about how basically what gets measured gets managed, right? There's a lot of risk Mm -hmm. involved in business, environmental risk, safety, whatever it is, you know, applicable to your business. I think, um, you know, if you're publicly reporting on your safety data, for example, your environmental data, right, it gives that extra um, push to make sure you're you're, um,
1: performing as you should. Yeah, and you're holding yourself accountable.
0: Well, and I'll I'll also add to that that when we talk about ESG, um, environmental, social governance related issues, um you know the line of what's material financially material and what's not financially material has blurred significantly um and and you know as more and more um, very serious and and influential global financial institutions begin to consider certain industry specific ESG risks to be financial risks and that's you know direct quote from the latest BlackRock CEO letter in January of 2020 this year, climate risk is financial risk, period. Mm-hmm. You know, and the more that that is, you know, that idea becomes mainstream. And I don't think you can get more mainstream than than the largest asset manager in the world. Um, you know, the more that that becomes mainstream, the more that these issues are not going to be optional to evaluate, measure, and report on, um, And so, uh, you know, I think that speaks to the, the sort of risk management perspective of ESG, which is, you know, people, I think, sometimes confuse ESG investing with impact investing, um, impact being like seeking a specific positive societal or environmental impact, and ESG simply being another layer of screening. For your investment another layer of risk assessment right and so if you consider esg risks those that are of course appropriate for the industry and the business that you're you're examining if you consider those as additional additional risk screenings essentially um and you as a company look at what are those material esg risks um, that could impact the long-term viability of the company what you're going to get is a stronger company and you're going to get a company that understands the full picture of the risks it's facing um, and will face soon <laughs> um, if they haven't already come across them um, in the case of climate. So I think there's there's that as well as it's 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 a long term, you know, hedging of risk by when you when you really take these these issues seriously. And the upside is that, you know a solid, rep, solid reporting um, regimen with this can really contribute to operational efficiency. And it can, it, it should, if it's set up properly, it should contribute to operational efficiency, um, whether that's cost savings, um, it should contribute to other opportunities and maybe um, potential sources of revenue that you know had been considered back burner things. You can kind of bring those to the front burner. Um, and then of course, most importantly for this conversation, really giving you that extra bump for your brand.
2: Mm -hmm. And I I have two things to that, Chris. Sorry. I just, I'm long-winded. No, you're good. Um, But, uh, you know, Caitlin, you were talking about the other day that not one size fits all. Um, And I think that that's important to talk about in terms of ESG reporting and what's right and what's material for your company, your stakeholders, Um, and how that plays out. And then secondly, I agree with everything these ladies say, obviously, because I just adore them. But secondly, (laughs) secondly, and I think it's important is that, you know, when you talk about good ESG reporting or, or relevant, rational approach, you can tell those brands that have a plan because they've got great ESG ratings and they're great brands. You know, when you think about like all of the, A-listers out there, Procter & Gamble or Home Depot or what have you, I mean, they, you know, they all, they all know who they are and they at least have, you know, okay, we're going to have a tiered approach and this is what we want to do. I think Target just came out and raised their minimum wage and they have a very good uh, sustainability report. I don't know what their rating is, but I really enjoyed reading it and I like their approach you know to their employees and to their the community at large you know so those two things but it's not it's not something that's cookie cutter it has to be custom to make it really worthwhile right
0: yes absolutely and i think you bring up a good point like a lot of these brands that are a listers are consumer brands right target's yeah. a consumer brand microsoft is a consumer brand when we talk about b2b companies and um, it, particularly industrial sectors, manufacturers, you know, we have clients that make, you know, make modern life possible, but no one knows who they are, right? i have never heard of them, even though they're huge international companies. Um, and, there, and And so that's sort of one of the factors that you have to look at. Obviously, a company um, that's, that's in that space and doesn't, is not a consumer brand doesn't need to do the same type of report that target does. That's right. right? And, 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 and they shouldn't, you know, we wouldn't, wouldn't recommend that (laughs) for a company like that. But that's, I think, you know, Leanne, you're, you're, you're touching on an important point, which is it's not one size fits all. And it's very important for each company to determine what the right size is and to take that time before they just say, Oh, I need an ESG report give me your give me your basic plan you know <laughs> yeah um you know and and you know in some cases you're meeting them where they are and 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 we're open to having conversations but we're always going to tell our clients it is so important to step back and ask yourself what you're trying to get out of it um and and then also potentially identify these these other additional benefits such as uh, brand culture Re- recruitment and retention in, and and make sure you're getting the most bang for your buck when it comes to this this thing you're going to do anyways you might yeah. as well get more value the most value out of it you can't
2: yeah amanda said yesterday there's no point in doing this and investing all this time and effort and money if it's not genuine and real and if it's not doable if it's not achievable right You know, I mean, in terms of producing a report, if you can't possibly produce a 65-page website that's interactive with dynamic data, that's okay. You know, if all you can do right here, right now is tell your story in a digital PDF, not to downplay print materials, but I'm a web strategist. Um, But you know what I mean? I think that that's important is to, uh, to not only meet our clients where they are, um, but also kind of assess where they could go, you know, and and, and do they totally. need to go that way?
0: Totally. And I mean, I think that's part of the multi-year approach and the iterative approach to this, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and we always we're always talking about the agile approach, like to borrow something from tech and web that I know you'll appreciate. Um, is you know, this is a process, and by the way, the voluntary you know, frameworks, they're changing all the time. Just this mm-hmm. week, we had, just this week, GRI and SASB, the um, Sustainability Accounting Standards Board and Global Reporting Initiative, announced um, a decision to, to collaborate and sort of bury the hatchet, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that was a literal headline <laughs> this week. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, how will that impact the, the framework that you're expected to use or not use That's why you have to be agile and do, you know, do a little, get feedback from your key stakeholders and adjust as you go along. Um, So unless you're a big consumer brand that has a really big need to come out in a, you know, in a big way with a big splash, um, then then taking baby steps can be a really smart way to make those investments and get that immediate feedback and immediately improve as you go.
3: I mean, we always talk about ESG being a journey, right? And whether you're taking the very first step, baby step, or big jump, whatever you want, or, that, or whether you're well down, you know, that path and you've been doing it for I don't know, 20 years, from like that, right? it is a journey, and it's kind of a continuous improvement journey. If you can talk about it, think about it that way, there's always something more to do.
2: Um, yeah,
3: things are always evolving. The target's always kind of moving. Um, so you kind of. So what's important, I think, is. And going back to what we were talking about, how, taking that moment to kind of think and plan in advance is really identifying, you know, what are what is your vision from the beginning for increasing your transparency? What are your strategic goals? And what are those kind of guiding principles or pillars around ESG reporting? And then as your tactics may change, maybe it's not SASB anymore. Maybe it's not, it's a combo, whatever the combo will be called. Some really long acronym that we won't be able to right, of course. because we love acronyms of sustainability, whatever it is. Um, you know why your company's doing it, what you want to get out of it. it'll kind of guide you along mm-hmm. if you know that path
1: so one of the hidden values to me as as I'm learning more about this from speaking with Leanne and speaking with you ladies, is that the process to me it seems like the process feels like um it it forces you to kind of see things in a different way or or uncover certain things about your company that maybe you didn't see before. Is that it is that true in your experience? And if so, um, you know, maybe are there any things in particular you guys find like this process brings out?
0: I definitely would say yes. I mean, one of the, the big things that it's why it's so it's interesting to have these conversations with um you know, with folks like you that work in a similar space, but we do complementary things. And, and, and how, you know, we were just talking about the other day, how almost always when we're starting with a first time ESG reporter, um, their, their very first, um, process, um, or or very first time thinking about it, almost always the question of culture and brand come up almost always. And, and so, you know, when you start backing, backing out, you know, often the ESG report is like the, the the fire that they're calling you for. There's a fire. We need a Mm -hmm. report. Um, but then as you start backing out, you're like, okay, yeah, there's a fire, but there's also some structural issues. Um, and you know, let's, we can help put the fire out, but like, we're, we're going to also start talking about the structural issues. And one of those big ones is brand. Mm -hmm. um, brand and, and culture values. I mean, often, you know, if you have a, a B2B company that even if it's a huge company, um, sometimes those aren't necessarily like, let's say really unique to that company, or they're not necessarily, you know, reflective of say a company that's grown through acquisition, maybe no, no longer apply to a big global company. Um, that maybe a few years ago was a family-owned business. So you you kind of see as you go along this process um, a lot of other things that can can come up um, and certainly, you know, I think often inspire more discussion and more, um, you know, more focus and attention as a result of the ESG reporting process.
2: Yeah, I would agree with that. I think that the clients that we've worked with are all pretty savvy in terms of marketing and Mm -hmm. um, in terms of understanding their place in the industry wherever we meet them at. But there are some that we've had conversations with that uh, start to struggle when they're trying to align their, their internal goals, whether they're You know, uh, investment goals or whether they're uh, personal goals for the quarter that they put up in the marketing department or in a in a public affairs department and then communicating that externally they have internal messaging and external messaging and trying to align those and trying to, because an ESG report by its nature is transparent or should be transparent and it's public facing. So how do you, They, I've, I see them struggle with f- trying to figure out who they are and how they talk to each other, but how they talk to their customer as well. And I don't know that I have an answer for it. I mean, it depends. It's all custom in in that regard. You know, it depends on the client, and it depends on what the issues are that we uncover. But inevitably, uh, when you start looking at at you know these issues, um, societal issues, governance issues, um, you're going to uncover things like that. And it and it's you know it's great because you know back to what Amanda said, you know. Um, what gets measured gets managed, you know? And so I think that once you acknowledge, okay, I might have a problem here, you can fix the problem. You can problem solve, you know?
0: Mm -hmm. I think that's another little thing I'll add to that is a lot of um, first-time reporters are afraid of the performance side. They're like, oh, you know, this is the first time we've measured our diversity numbers and it's not good or, You know, it's the first time we've measured our GHG emissions or water usage and it's not good, but, um, transparency is more important than performance Mm -hmm. in this world In the world that we're working in, um, transparency and admitting, yes, we recognize there's an issue here. We're taking these steps to address it. You'll get an update in our next report. Mm -hmm. That's much more valuable than silence Mm -hmm. because I can guarantee you that even if you don't report it, if you work in, if you're producing a commodity or if you're working in an, as long as it's not the tiniest niche industry ever, um, the analysts at MSCI, Sustainalix, all these things are extremely advanced. They have incredible amounts of data. They'll make their own assumptions. They'll make their own calculations and they'll guess where you fit. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you might as well be transparent and, and, and have the control over what data is out there and that narrative, um, then allow, you know, a third party to basically guess for you.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's you such know? a great parallel with branding, honestly, because we always say, um, anyone who's listened to this podcast, even once has probably heard, you don't own your brand, you manage it. Hmm. Um, and so if, if you're sitting out the conversation, so you, you're opting not to do an ESG report, someone's going to fill in the gap for you.
2: That's exactly yeah. right. So
1: this is, this is part of the process of, um, of owning, you know, our managing the brand or managing, you know, Hey, here's our transparency. This is what we're doing. Um, if someone else out there that's putting together their data is, you know, estimating what we're doing, um, that if, if we don't correct them, if we don't come forth with our stuff, then they take control of our narrative and they take control of our brand.
2: Yeah, and that's and that's daunting, right? That's hard. I mean, I think about the different, um, you know, personality, persona profiles that we talk about in terms of our end users at Brand Extract, our customer base, whether it's a, a CEO, CFO, head of sales, marketing manager, they may not have a director of sustainability At their company and they may be the ones that in their eyes drew the short straw and have Mm -hmm. to do an ESG report and they don't know where to begin it's such a daunting task and then if they go and look at all of these analysts and you know the ratings and rankers of the world they may say oh my gosh we can't afford to use the company that has 10 offices globally in Hong Kong and London, what are we going to do? And there are people out there to help them like on this podcast, for example, that, you know, that it don't, don't be frightened of it, be empowered by it, you know, and, and it's okay. Be, be honest, be empowered. And it's like, well, we're going to march through this and we're going to, do what we can. And we're going to learn from it because I guarantee you, you won't regret it. It
0: is not wasted. You know, it's not wasted. If you take the time to set out your goals before you start. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think we saw a lot in the 2010s of definitely waste where, and, and part of that was that there weren't many options. GRI was designed the original global reporting initiative that was founded in 1997 was, um, designed to meet External stakeholders' needs. So, um, specifically focusing, you know, not on the financials and not on the investment, but on the society and your company's impact on society. Well, as you know, as the 2010s came along, you know, if your if your if your company doesn't honestly have a big impact or is not a consumer brand, a lot of companies I think found that GRI just you know, it, they weren't getting the value out because they were having five downloads of their report. And so those those programs got cut um, and unfortunately not always replaced with something more fit for purpose. But now that we have so many options, um, there's, there's no need to assume like, oh, I have to do this huge, huge, huge report. Um, like maybe that's right for your company, but maybe it's not. And so if you take the time to set the strategic Objectives ahead of time and what and understand what you're trying to achieve. There are plenty of options now to to help increase your ESG transparency without um, without you know going overboard and it's something that's you know ends up getting cut right. Um, and and you know that I'll just add one thing to that and that is that um, you know ESG disclosures do tend to be done by larger companies with more resources and we as a boutique firm recognize that and we don't want all of these small and medium-sized businesses to lose out on this game, so to speak, <laughs> lose out yeah. on on the winnings because they're smaller and, and you know might not be able to afford a big four firm to to help them with this particular topic. Um and so boutique firms like ours um, you know, are there to kind of serve that need and help them through that iterative fit-for-purpose process um so they don't miss the boat right and we've been so talking in- about
2: inclusive yeah. right it's exactly a, I mean, one of the pillars of esg you know inclusivity and and i think that everybody can do something mm-hmm.
1: yeah so that you you talked a little bit about kind of where we started where we were in the beginning and then in in 2000 the 2010s how things kind of evolved and maybe even devolved a little bit so here we are in 2020. I want to talk a little bit. I want to ask you guys what what is the future of ESG? What do you what do you guys think, you know, is the is the the next step and and what does it look like? Um you guys have any thoughts or opinions on that?
3: Yes, we probably have many. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> I think one of the things we're seeing very rapidly um and let me wait, let me rephrase that. What we it will become mandatory at some time. It's a matter of time. Um, We see it's already becoming mandatory in Europe, right? In other parts of the world. We see our own SEC um, inquiry, having um, requests for comments about ESG fund names. We see our Department of Labor um, proposing new rules about ERISA, about ESG funds, but it's not very clearly defined what is an ESG investment. That's going to have to be defined someday. So it's it's a matter of time. Is it two to three years out? Is it five to six, seven? We don't know. But at some point, it will become mandatory.
0: Yeah. Well, and and even if it's not legally required, um, the markets are following the money, guys. Like this is, Mm -hmm. it's so people, people, I think there's still a misperception out there that, ESG, you know, you have to take a hit to your profits. This is the opposite is the case. You can go to look at Morningstar, um, you know, look at MSEO, look at all of the indices out there, check out the Bloomberg Terminal. I mean, you can go see for yourself that the majority of ESG funds are outperforming their benchmarks. Now, we can have a debate about why. Um, That's a whole other conversation. But the point is, You know, people see money, people see profit, people see alpha being generated. They're going, they're going for it. So even if it doesn't become a regulatory requirement, the markets are already headed that way. And, you know, one of the studies that just came out this year, it's been cited a lot. It was in one of our, I think our February newsletter, um, Deloitte projected just based on current, current growth of the past few years, that ESG... ESG assets, again, definition question aside, ESG assets could make up half of all assets under management in the U.S. by 2025, five years. Mm -hmm. You know, that's, um, and, and, you know, could be, that that came out before COVID, that might be accelerated because what we've seen since COVID is an acceleration of this as well. So um, it's gonna get there as a requirement. At some point, the markets are already headed there.
2: Yeah, that train's already left the station, I feel like, you know, I mean, and it's just, and I think it might have started maybe originally in Europe, but we've certainly caught up, <laughs> you know, We're catching and, up. Oh, uh, yeah.
1: <laughs> well, and and you guys alluded to it. It's, this is something that's evolving in real time, right? You, you yes. talked about the the SASB and, uh, GRI merger, uh, was it GRI? And yeah,
0: it was. Yes. Not, um, not necessarily a merger, but just right. a, a statement that they will collaborate, which is, uh-huh. which,
1: which is what we gave. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. 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 That's
1: great. Yeah. Um, okay. like so, minds. So Amanda, do you have something else to add?
3: I think another trend that we're seeing, I think that will become the future of ESG, too, is just more dynamic reporting, right? We're kind of used to having this annual um, report that comes out, talks about the annual process. But I think like anything else, I think investors and other stakeholders are wanting more frequent updates. I mean, one, you know, easy example that we're seeing, is especially with Fortune 500 companies, we're seeing ESG mentioned more often in quarterly earning reports, as an example. Mm -hmm. That's a trend that more and more companies are starting to jump onto. And who knows what you know, the future will be um, with this. But I think, yes, there's still a place for that annual sustainability report to talk about what you've done over the year. How did you measure over the last year? But I think just like, um, kind of like financials, they want to know more kind of more
2: real time what's yeah. happening.
1: Quarterly reporting and then so on and so forth. Well, and, and live
2: reporting, you know, I mean, real reporting that's that you can change and this goes into your area of expertise, Mr. Content Strategist. Mm -hmm. Um, But when we talk about findability and searchability, I mean, that live HTML text on the page, when we're talking about an indeliverable in the, you know, we live online, we're doing this online, you know, that's, that's where you need to be. And I mean, I hate to sound like a broken record, but sustainability reports should in and of themselves be sustainable. So don't, whatever you do, I wouldn't print it. (laughs) You know, I mean, I would prefer that you have something online or something, you know, in the cloud that I can access. So,
0: well, in, in the U.S., but you know in in other markets like if you're example for example you know working in rural india or something you know uh, you might yeah. you might want to have some paper copies in the local language that that your employees can access um, but yes, I mean I agree with you that in in general, if you're operating in the U.S. and that's your primary audience, yeah, go online. You know, and that's why it's so cool to hear about the tool that Brand Extract has, has developed um, to basically allow the the non technical user, so the CSOs of the world, the the um, communications professionals of the world, to go and do their own live updates in your content management system. So it's not something that you kind of have to you know depend on someone else to do I think that's such a cool um, a cool enabling tool to yeah. enable more frequent re- reporting um, and I mean this these are discussions that you know a, a lot of folks in corporate sustainability are familiar with um, about sort of the annual versus the the live report um, but I, I think like Amanda said it's it's sort of a balance and it's it's your knees right there's always going to be a, a desire to see year-on-year year data for comparability, um, but I think there are certain things that, that can and could be simply live tickers on your website, you know, or live updating numbers, um, which, which um, you know, add that interactive element as well um from for like for the from the brand and the culture and the wow they're so cool (laughs) kind of that cool factor um which is important for companies that are perceived as not cool and industries that are perceived as not cool i think that's something that can add um in addition to just having that that more more up-to-date transparency right
1: yeah Yeah. so this has all been really great. Um, I, I I have one last question, and I want to go to each one of you guys here and give everybody an opportunity to to answer this. But um, for the listeners out there who may um, who may be considering, you know, jumping into ESG and haven't done it yet, or um, you know, feel like overwhelmed by it, I'd like to see. I'd like to get a tip from each of you guys, or just kind of some advice, maybe. Like, what would you tell that person? um who is considering it or you know is like okay we're going to do this and then we you know but where do we start can you guys each provide one maybe <laughs> two tips hmm.
0: i will always say start with what you want to get out of it
2: mhm
0: what are you trying to achieve
2: yeah what does success look like to you for this? That's what I would say. Like, what is your, what is your vision? What defines success for this report or this project?
3: Yeah. And say so you've made a smart decision <laughs> go with it. Um, there's, if you feel uncomfortable, there's help from global affairs associates from brand extract from, I'm sure there's other boutique firms out there as well. There's, or there's a lot of people who want to help you. So you made the right decision, whether it's internal, external, um, I think as Caitlin and Leanne said, what do you want to get out of this? What's your vision? And don't be afraid to seek help.
1: Awesome. And, and a couple other things I wanted to mention too, because you guys, we talked about this yesterday, but like, and, and you guys talked about this throughout the podcast, but um, understanding that ESG is a journey. So if you're feeling overwhelmed, like there's, you know, like you said, hey, you made a good decision. Now let us help you follow through with that, right? But doing things that are going to be authentic to you um, and that that, you know, that, are relevant to your business as opposed to just doing it just to do it, um, you mm-hmm. know, embrace it. So um, mm-hmm. I, I think that's it guys. I, I want to thank you guys so much. Uh, Caitlin, Amanda, Leanne, this was awesome. It was a great learning experience for me. Anybody who's listening out there, I imagine it's going to be an incredible learning experience for you guys as well. So thank you guys so much. I appreciate the time.
2: Thank Our you pleasure. For Thank you so much, Thanks. Chris.
1: Thanks, guys. Bye.
2: Yay. Thanks, ladies.
0: That wraps up this episode of Solving for B. If you enjoyed the show,
1: check out BrandExtract.com for more conversations on branding and marketing. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll see you next time on Solving for B with Brand Extract.